Talk. I'm your host, Jay Wagoner, and today's special guest is Dennis Green. He runs the Straight Pool Leagues and is involved with the Minnesota Straight Pool Association. Is that, can we call it an association? Yes, uh, that's correct. It's, uh, it's a, a loosely loose organization, but uh, it exists on a website, and, and so uh, it was originally started by Matt Lind back in uh, 2003-2004. At that time, he was running several leagues up in the north suburbs, up in Two Stooges and, and at Jimmy's Professional Billiards, and uh, he saw the need for something formalized somewhat, so he started the Minnesota Straight Pool Association. Then when he got busy with his three-cushion career, love for the three-cushion sport, and got busy with his work, he uh, kind of let it uh, let me take it over, and I've had it since about uh, 2005. Oh my! And uh, so you've been involved. You've been involved almost 10 years. E with yeah. This, yep. With this and making it better. Well, we hope it's better. Yeah, and and I noticed in the uh, you talk a little bit about, and I always forget to mention the Minnesota Billiard Club. Is that what it's called? The downtown. Yeah, there's uh, um, two billiard tables, and then they have a nine-foot uh, pocket table. It's it's a diamond, and then they have a couple of small, okay, small billiard tables. Okay. Uh, and oddly enough, I've never been there. I I haven't either. You I, haven't either. I've just seen pictures of it. Okay. Yeah. I thought you've been every page. Oh, look who walks up. Les McGrath, come yeah. on and join us. You can come this join us. <laughs> yeah, you're passing it by, huh? Have a chair. <laughs> he said, <laughs> "What?" <laughs> well, we have Les McGrath, who is part of the Straight Pool League, joining us, and uh, so now we have three. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> so now your history of of pool of straight pool in Minnesota. I know it was the first game I ever learned in in, in my growing up mm. pool pool wise. Eight ball and nine ball all came later. It was straight pool and you know of course we yeah. usually played for a little bit on each game but we used to play races to fifty or races to a hundred. Of course we only ran three or four balls at the beginning but uh, for me, straight pool was the last game that I oh, I tackled. Interesting. Yeah, I, I started in 1961 up in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. Uh, my brother took me to this place called uh, Bunnell's Recreation, and it was four pocket tables and one snooker table, and uh, it, you know I just the smoke-filled room, all you could see was the lights over the tables and these old guys sitting around the exterior. It was it was really something. And, and that was about the same time that the movie The Hustler came out. So it all worked together. And back in, back in those days at Detroit Lakes, uh, eight ball was a dime a rack. Uh, rotation was which a game we played quite a bit 
was a dime a rack and snooker was 15 cents a rack. Oh my. And and that was for one player. When the game concluded, you wrap your cue on the floor and this older gentleman named Ole would come over and rack the balls for you and collect collect the dime from the loser of the game. So that's how we... we, you, well, we he, knew, all, he knew to go right to the loser. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although it was available, we never played by the hour because we had so much. We never had enough change in our pockets to to uh, to know when we'd uh, when you'd be done. When we'd be done, <laughs> so we played by the game, and it, it was fun. It was it was a lot of fun, but unfortunately, as a lot of other little pool rooms in Minnesota, it closed. Um, First, it uh, they moved it downstairs to the old bowling alley, and then it became a card room, and uh, that was the end of a nice that little pool room. Yeah, that was the end. Yeah, I remember uh, I used to go to a little room in Fergus Falls. That was it, that's pretty traditional, which you just just described. Mm -hmm. But uh, this one was in back of the barber shop. <laughs> Yeah. You went into the back room of the barber shop, and they had a 12-foot snooker table and a 9-foot table. Yeah. You know, that was it, but that's where everybody was in Fergus Falls on any given time. What about you? I'm sure you had rooms like that. Oh, just uh, the local bowling alley is where we started playing. And it was straight pool. That's the first straight game. The bowling alley. taught at the bowling alley. So you had a separate room? Two nine, two nine foot tables. And Two bowling alley, no, it was all one big room. <laughs> okay. Bowling alley. Oh, there was no separation at all. No. You were out with the bowlers. You could be if you wanted to <laughs> step, take a couple steps to the left. <laughs> but uh, had two two uh, tables, and of course, first thing you're taught is straight pull. There are two nine footers. Where was this? Now? In La Center. La Center? Yep. Okay. I'm not sure I know where that is in Minnesota. It's, uh, it's, it's just north of Mankato. It's oh, okay. 50 miles <coughs> <to> nowhere. <laughs> oh, here we have another guy joining us. I should say we're all sitting the at Texas, Shooters from Billiards. <laughs> and and Jim Powell has just walked into the room, too. Jim is also a, a uh, he's looking around saying, what's going on? <laughs> is also part of the pool league, if I'm not mistaken. Not anymore. Not anymore? Not this year? Not this season. Not this. He was, he was uh, played last, last season. season. Yeah, we're doing a podcast. Oh, podcast. <laughs> okay. He's wondering what's going on. Yeah, Jim, Jim, I think since he started actually playing the street pool again, has turned into a real disciplined player, and I don't even like to play him anymore. Same here. Same here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nobody likes you anymore, Jim. You, you want me to go play it? Uh oh, we got a game. We've got a game happening right now. Go ahead. It, it's ten fifteen in the morning, and the game is already being made here at Shooters Billiards. All right, see you guys later. That's what we like, loose and free here. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> so, Detroit Lakes, but, so what was your first game that you learned? Well, we played eight ball, eight ball. and rotation. And rotation. Uh, we, uh, rotate, a full rack rotation where uh, 61 points, you won the game. 
Okay. And that is where I really learned how to shoot combinations. Because oh. you'd, you'd have to start off shooting the one ball, and if the 15 ball is sitting somewhere, Absolutely. you'd go for it. <clears throat> yeah. And, and it was a great game. That's, uh, I guess, similar to what uh, the Filipinos uh, learned, uh, Efren Reyes, and they played a lot of uh, 15 full rack yeah. rotation over in the Philippines. Yeah, it's very difficult. Yeah. I had the uh, <coughs> privilege of watching uh, Alex play the 15 ball ghost, Alex Pagulain yeah. play the 15 ball ghost, which he did complete, you know, which is mm -hmm. pretty sickening, I think, to be able to, to run the rack of 15 balls. Sure. About, you know, back in the old days, too, there was uh, another thing that really influenced me. There, there was grand opening of Gold Crown Billiards up in Fargo, which was on University Avenue. And uh, they brought in Willie Moscone for a couple of days. <coughs> and the local TV station, which was uh, WDAY, uh, just happened to, to broadcast it. They... they took their cameras down to Gold Crown Billiards and for two consecutive nights broadcast Willie Moscone's exhibition. Oh my. What year was this? <clears throat> it was about 1962, 63. Wow. And uh, <clears throat> Willie, uh, he was he was a very uh, good showman. He, he devoted one day to straight pool where he ran his normal 100 balls against somebody from the from the audience and and also he did one of his exhibitions was just on trick shots okay which went over a lot better because they they look they had more eye appeal sure and straight pool if straight pool is played correctly like Willie does it it almost looks boring yes it looks like wow he's not shooting anything difficult right but the difficulty comes from setting up those Easy shots, time after time. Time after time. time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I was, I was very privileged uh, in my youth to live in the Detroit area when uh, all the old masters, the Cranes and Balsas and Lassiters, etc., and so on, Moscones, of course, uh, came to Detroit and played tournaments mm -hmm. and. I always remember they had five nine-foot tables set up, and and four were devoted to the men's side, and one was devoted to the women's. And so I, I also have to mention I saw Jean Belukas also at a very young age. I think she was 13, 14, 15, mm -hmm. right in there, you know, and, and they're playing straight pool. Yeah. And... What a pleasure and what an honor to be able to have watched these these great masters. So when you talk about Moscone, and then the other thing, being on TV, that was big news it was. in the 60s. It was. You know, don't we wish we had that now? Yeah. Uh, one other... I guess another interesting thing, uh, Willie was a, a true gentleman, although he, he played with great intensity and everything, he dressed immaculately, was, was well-groomed, and, and uh, you know, he ran 526, it was on an 8-foot table, 
you know, but uh, nobody's come Nobody's. Very, cl very close to that yeah. since, and that was in, I believe it was 1954. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think the closest is about a hundred short of that. Yeah. If I, if I'm not mistaken, um, but also, Moscone was the only person to be able to run a hundred balls on demand. Yeah. He would do that every exhibition. And that's one of the amazing feats that people forget about. Yeah. You know, certainly there's people that run a hundred balls and can do it in four or five or six or seven tries. Yeah. Right. Or maybe even more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. But he used to do it every exhibition. You know, I have to say I saw him club up once, and that was early, and he he all. Oh, you could just see he was really mad at himself. <laughs> yeah, probably one of the more competitive players that ever ever lived. Yeah, and then and then he just—it was like a jet plane going through the rack. He was so mad. It was just boom, 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 boom. boom. Yeah. Which he isn't known for speed or anything, but he sure was that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a in Fargo also. There was a straight pool player by the name of Elmer Morlock. And uh, Elmer got to play a few times with Willie, and lo and behold, Elmer put runs together at the right time and did beat him. Yeah. You know, which, great for Elmer. And in fact, <laughs> my recollection, Elmer kind of had it made in Fargo because he would go to the bars at night, and I, I think maybe the most he ever played for was $5. Usually it was like a $2 game playing eight ball on a bar table, but people would keep putting up their quarters to play them and lose $20, $30, just so they could say, yeah, I beat Elmer last night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's a funny character in, well, in, in Moscone, you can't say enough. So now they've, uh, it used to be played in the U.S. Open. Correct. And I think what what happened was TV started picking it up, and and uh, because of the long innings and safety shots, it was very hard for them to insert commercials and without chopping the game up terribly. Sure. So the shorter games, such as nine nine ball, especially, became much more. Attractive to T for TV, where a rack of nine ball usually takes a few minutes. It, then it was easier for them to pause and insert sure. commercials. Put put the break in and put the break in. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I never thought about it that way, but that yeah. really makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. But also, as you said, you know, uh, fourteen one can be a very tedious game. Correct. If you don't appreciate the shape play and the the finesse with which they handle the cue ball, yeah. Nine, nine ball, I, you know, you you have to follow the balls in numerical order, and and uh, where with straight pull you can shoot any ball on the table during your time at the table. It's a call shot game, and. Uh, um, 
well, maybe a little bit about the history of it. Um, before uh, 1910, uh, it was played one rack at a time, and then they'd re-rack the balls, all 15 of them. There was a guy named Jerome Keel, and uh, what he did, he said, why don't we just pocket 14 balls, leave the 15th ball where it is, re-rack the 14 balls, and then we can just continue on. That's where the term 14.1 continuous pool okay. came from. So it was Jerome Keel was the inventor of the modern, of the modern game. game. And uh, it's like it's over a hundred years old right now. So, oh. so that was kind of was, a, was he a good player then too? Do you know any of his background? Or I think he won some championships before it went to the 14.1. Oh, okay. And after that, Ralph Greenleaf kind of took over, which was Willie Moscone's mentor. Uh, but uh, Ralph Greenleaf was probably the most prolific player playing in through the 1920s and, and okay. 30s in there. So um, I have a question for you about sure. that and something I've always wondered and maybe you know the answer. Um, lots of times after like Greenleaf, you know, all of his championships, world championships and so on, um, was that kind of like boxing back then where it really wasn't organized that people would challenge? He would challenge people and say, well, okay, people think you're the best in the world, so I'm challenging you to a match and the winner will be world champion. Yeah. From what I've read, um, there were challenge matches for championships. They, also, the Brunswick Corporation was extremely heavily involved and they had uh, many of these players under contract. Okay. Um, and they, from what I've read, kind of determined when championships were going to be held and also such as that back in the early days. Okay, so it wasn't necessarily like today a double elimination tournament or anything. It was maybe Brunswick picked four of their players and said, well, we need to sell some tables someplace, and so let's have it. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm wondering. There might have been more than that, but they played a different kind of a game. They played in blocks of, of 200 points or 400 points or 500 points. And uh, tournaments went for an extremely extended length of time. Goodness. And, uh, so you're talking more than a weekend. <laughs> more than a weekend. Much more than a weekend. A, a couple weeks or like like the way the old, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting, the precursor to Derby City. Yes, yes. You know, where they were there for three weeks or a month playing. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was something like that yeah. where they would... My goodness. I remember seeing a picture of uh, Greenleaf and somebody else uh, in a sold-out Madison Square Garden match. You know, amazing. Madison Square Garden only held like 12,000 people at the time. Yeah. But there were 12,000 people watching this straight pool match. One table in the center and, you know, people ringed all the way around. 
Wow. <laughs> and and people in the in the audience probably were wearing suits and ties and everybody and suit and ties and the, fine dresses. And the players were probably also so that was a very interesting time for pool and uh, and tournament play. It was it was the the place to be. Uh, and everything such as that. And during that time, right, I think uh, uh, probably starting in the late 1800s, um, it became known as the sport of kings, this, yeah. right, the royal sport. And so, yes, I, I just, it would be so much fun. But I was looking at some matches in the 70s, <coughs> excuse me, and it was. It was, uh, they were Las Vegas matches, and lo and behold, people in the audience were dressy, dressed up. Mm -hmm. You know, all the players, suit pants and a vest or coat, you know, and I was thinking that was just in the 70s, and it was a pleasure to watch those matches. Yeah. You know, even though they were playing nine ball, which I do enjoy, mm -hmm. but, but, you know, I was thinking... Wow, <laughs> need more of that. Yeah. Straight pool was almost dead uh, going through the 1980s and early 90s, but uh, it's been gaining popularity uh, mainly, I think one reason is because the, the demographics of our population is growing older, and I, a lot of the older people are enjoying, enjoyed straight pool. So they have the time and probably the, the money to enjoy the game. A lot of local leagues have started up all over the country uh, in places such as Houston. San Francisco area has a couple leagues, uh, Denver, Ohio. There's a big one in Amsterdam Billiards that has oh. over 90 players in it. Wow. Uh, wow. So are you are you affiliated with those leagues or keep in contact with them at all? Or I keep in contact <coughs> with a, a couple of people. Uh, Dennis Walsh in Chicago, he run, runs a league at Red Shoes Billiards. Um, he's an internet uh, acquaintance of mine. Uh, Steve Kurtz uh, at Bayshore Billiards in Long Island just started a new league. I talked with him on the phone the other night. We discuss how things are going and, and mm -hmm. what's happening. Uh, and then also I make it up to Fargo every once in a while. Go see my page Far at Fargo, Fargo Billiards. Yeah. yeah, they started a league there a few years back. And, oh, good for and them. So, so uh, but 
I think the game is slowly gaining popularity. There's a couple of big tournaments every year. Uh, one that used to be called the Mer Maryland State Championships now is called the American Straight Bull Championships. Oh, okay. They get the same players that the World Meet does. Okay. And um, the World Meet is held every year usually on the East Coast that's uh, run by Dragon Promotions. Um, a lot of good players in that from around the world and uh, it's been going since uh, the early 2000s, I think it was 2006. There's only been won once by an American player, that being John Schmidt. Okay. Yeah. Thorsten has won it three times. And Three times. And Oliver Ortman has won it twice. Most There's of them a name European. I haven't thought of for a long time. Ortman. Yeah. 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 My goodness. And yeah, you think there's something, uh, something the Europeans are taking or something? <laughs> I think they play better. I think they play straight pool more over in in Europe, um, mainly because they have local country championships and a whole kind of a. a a system feeding into it. So that yeah, so you're saying they actually have a feeder system, you think? Correct. Yes. Yeah. And one of the things that the US is 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 lacking. Definitely. Yeah, the uh, uh, I've always thought and and I think the Moscone Cup results uh, bear this out that I think that the Europeans, the way they train for the game, the way they learn the game, because they learn early from coaches, not like Americans who just pick it up and hit. Um, but they're so much more disciplined yeah. in in their game than the Americans per se. Certainly, we have some disciplined Americans, but they're few and far between compared to the European player. Yeah, Thorsten was <coughs> around here a few times. Uh, over the last year, and um, he was very fun to to watch and talk to. He's a very disciplined player. He does a lot of drills, such as other Europeans. They're they're very structured that way. I think he has his own coach, which he'll call up on occasion to get advice and everything such as that. So. They, it's a very uh, disciplined, disciplined system. Yeah. And, it, and it, you know, it's funny you say that, but I'm glad you brought that up, talking about Thorson has a coach. Yeah. He has somebody that he goes to, you know, and here's what, arguably one of the best players in the world, right? Certainly top five. Yeah. And, and he has a coach. And as an instructor, you know, uh, I run into that kind of mindset from the Americans all the time. Yep. You know, oh, what are you going to teach me? Yeah. You know, well, and they're the same players that stay at the same level their whole life. Correct. You know, which is fine. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to detract from that because for a lot of people it's a social event. Mm -hmm. But if you're an aficionado of the game, I would think you would want to. Advance your your skill yeah. level. Yeah. yeah. But certainly, there's nothing wrong with being a social player because we all do it because we have fun. Correct. 
the uh, the uh, it, now I've heard some controversy about the world tournament with oh. uh, dragon promotions that it's not recognized by the world pool association yeah. and so there of course the WPA is saying well it's not really a recognized world championship because we don't recognize it mm -hmm. how do you feel about that um, I think the WPA did sanction it for a few years uh, they have very strict conditions where a to get a tournament sanctioned under the WPA what what Charlie Williams does call his tournament by the way, Charlie Williams is Dragon Promotions. Okay. But uh, what he calls it the World Straight Pool Tournament. So it, the the true title doesn't say championship. All right. Now, I unless there's something else that could replace it, it's the only big tournament in the world. So. At least the winner of it should be recognized as the winner of the World Straight Pool Tournament, per se. Mm -hmm. And that, by default, to me, is uh, better than any other thing that isn't sure. there. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and, and I do agree with you. You have players coming from around the world to play in the Dragon Promotions straight pool championships. Yeah. I don't know, uh, a tournament, straight pool yeah. tournament. <coughs> and certainly I agree that the champion is the world champion. Yeah. It's open to anybody. It isn't like it's a, a, a select few get to play. Yeah. You know, so by opening to anybody and, and getting through that field, which is tough enough, that uh, it certainly should be recognized as a world championship. Yeah, uh, this year's winner was Darren Appleton from England. Uh, the last year he uh, ran 200 and out on. Oh my! On uh, I can't remember the fellow's name, but uh, this year he uh, he be defeated Shane Van Boning. In the finals, 200 to 27, running 131 and out. Um, so it sounds like they kind of started off playing cat and mouse. Huh? Yeah, a little cat and mouse game. Yeah, little cat and mouse. <laughs> it was um, Bustamante that he beat. Okay. The 200 and out the previous year. Wow. And, wow. Uh, that that is the the. It's a great tournament, and for anyone to put it together, I think. It something needs to happen. Something needs to be called a world tournament for a straight pool, and uh, so yeah. I, I hate to get into politics of, of all of this stuff. I think it detracts from the sport. It's, it's, yeah, it's too bad there is know, the politics. Too bad. It is too bad yeah. that that uh, can't just enjoy the sport and the tournament, right. and people have to bring up all the all the negativity there with the fighting between organizations yeah. uh, but as we know pool is fractured yeah. terrible yeah. we have no uh, no leading no leading man anymore right. or, pool. or organization here in this country 
yeah. I, I, I think. And uh, that is one of the things that that uh, is pulling pulling the sport back. Mm -hmm. It's it's certainly not progressing the way it it could. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. The uh, now, you're from my old stomping grounds around Grand Forks, Correct. North Dakota, a little bit. And I remember the room. I, it might be a different room than you talk about in Crookston, Minnesota, which is Crookston is 25 miles east of Grand Forks, North Dakota, and you don't know where Grand Forks is either, which, if you know where Fargo is, Grand Forks is straight north of Fargo, about 75 miles. Yep. Um, <coughs> I went to... Uh, school in Crookston, and um, there was a one-way that a one-way loop that went through Crookston. The pool room was located on the far west part of town, on on the one-way going west. Okay. Yeah, and it was a narrow room, had maybe ten tables in it, one snooker table. It was the first place I ever saw blue cloth. I thought all cloth was green. Uh, this was back in the late 1960s, and and uh, I, I saw that blue cloth and I said, I can't believe that. You know, how did they get this stuff? And I thought all pool cloth was made green. But anyway, uh, used to sneak out from school as often as I could to the pool room. I like to call them pool rooms instead of pool halls, but sure. But uh, it was kind of a unique place. Uh, on Sunday nights, if you went to the pool room on Sunday nights, the local Salvation Army band would be stationed right outside on the sidewalk, <laughs> and as you walk in, they would be playing their music and handing out pamphlets to everybody to, I suppose, save their souls from <laughs> from the game. But uh, it was, uh, you know, except for Detroit Lakes, my second uh, second home back okay. in the through the 1960s. Sure. And and so we are talking about the same room there in Crookston okay. because. Uh, there was a popular lake that everybody from Grand Forks went to, which was another 20 miles east of, of Crookston, and that was called Maple Lake. Maple Lake. <laughs> and of course, as young and a teenager, we went to Maple Lake a lot. Well, guess where we'd stop on the way back? <laughs> we'd stop at the pool room. The pool and I forgot, room. was it just called Crookston Billiards or Crookston? I, I don't remember the name. But yeah, I can't remember and, either. And and I uh, I am with you on the blue cloth. <laughs> yeah, I had only seen green until then, also. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then and then of course when the Montana Tables and their franchise came around with the gold cloth, that too was a shock to me, and it it was so bright to play on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the gold. But yeah, I I I'm glad we got back to the green, but now they have the new blue. Yeah, I mean, out. <coughs> that's and, true. And uh, it, it, once again, there's an adjustment. I, I'm a traditionalist. Uh, I like the green cloth. I think it's green like the color of money. 
and it's there. It's green for a purpose. Yes, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. The, but I, talking about cloth now, you and I grew up on slow, slow cloth when yeah. you had to have a really good stroke to get the cue ball from one end of the table to the other. Yeah. You know, when when your shape was a lot more precise to give you the angle to be able to do that. That's true. You know, uh, so as a traditionalist, what do you think about straight pool on the Simonis cloth, fast cloth, or a fast cloth compared to the, the old slower plain cloth? <coughs> I think the biggest difference is the rack wouldn't break apart as easily on a slower cloth than on the, the, the Simonis 860 and you'd have to use a lot more finesse secondary brake shots uh, to to get the rack open to, to get through rack after rack um, I think it was more of a finesse game players would work the rack instead of uh, a real hard break shot, the ball scattering from one end of the table to the other end of the table. Right. I, and I think because of that, it was more of a thinking, thinking game, and maybe a little bit more skill had to be put into getting your balls apart and mm -hmm. getting clusters apart. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I agree with that. I, I was, uh, you know. <laughs> The problem with the, the kid player nowadays, of course, I call everybody who's under 40 a kid, but uh, they all kind of grew up nine ballish, right. and it's amazing to watch the nine ball players play straight pool, and they put together some good runs, but they aren't playing the game the right way. <laughs> yeah, It's just that they're so good at shot making nowadays that they don't need to many times, yep. you know, and, and yeah, I miss what you're talking about mm -hmm. when when a break shot maybe meant kicking four or five balls out of the rack and then you'd have to play for another one Yes, to kick more of the rack open. Yep. And, and so, yeah, the working and the knowledge, I think, was a lot greater then than it is now. Yep. You know, now they can make the shots, and which is... Which is wonderful that they can make the shots. I wish I could. Yeah. Uh, watching some of the old videos of Jimmy Karras and Luther Lassiter, that that's how they would play. They they Irving Crane they they'd work that rack, you know. And I think the last one I ever saw playing where he really worked the rack well was Dallas West. Okay. Yeah. And uh, he was from Rockford, Illinois. Yep, over there, and and uh, they really knew how to how to think their strategy out and get the balls open. Yeah, well, I, I agree. I, I you know, like I said, I was so privileged to be able to watch all these players yeah. in in Detroit and and playing the game instead of the gambler's game, which was nine ball. Yeah, you know the. Uh, to, to see them and, and thinking about it. In fact, uh, a little story about uh, Irving Crane. 
they were taking a break during a tournament once, and I, I don't remember where we were. I think it was at the rack in Detroit, and uh, uh, they were taking a break, and, and Crane comes back a little early from the break, and he's hitting some balls. And he, uh, he starts talking to the crowd, which was wonderful, and he was, he, he was making some spot shots. And then what he does is he gets down in his stance and bridges, and he gets to the stop point of the cue, right? In the pre-shot routine, you stop and then you slow back and take your shot. So he gets to the stop point and he shuts his eyes and he takes the cue out of his bridge and he keeps his bridge on the table and then he stands up, eyes closed, stands up, turns away from the shot completely. So the only thing touching the table is his bridge hand. He goes back down into his stance with his eyes closed He's telling the audience that this is muscle memory. And so just from his bridge alone, he gets back into his stance and makes the spot shot with his eyes closed. Mm -hmm. But he completely went out of stance, everything, and and still completed the shot. Now, how good is that? If you Try that sometime if you want to see if your muscle memory is good or not. Yeah. <laughs> Before I leave today, Jay, I think I will try a couple of those, and I know I'll miss both. Of them. Oh, my, you know, but that was a good lesson for me. Yeah, you know, and the importance of muscle memory, uh, and also the importance, of, you know, you always run across the people who say, "Which ball do you look at last? Do you look at the cue ball? Do you look at the object ball?" Mm -hmm. Well, I think that shows right there. It doesn't matter what you look at. Yeah. Right? As long as you're set in the right position. If you're set yeah. to shoot, your stroke should be true enough that you can make it no matter yeah. what you look yeah. at. You know, so I always say, you look at what's comfortable. Yeah. But but what a what a nice little thing, you know, for him to do to, to give us a little a little lesson in how to play pool. But, well, um, Anything else you want to talk about today? You know, uh, I'd like to uh, invite anyone that's interested in straight pool to to consider league play. Uh, I know locally you can certainly go on the internet and look under Min Straight Pool. That's mnstraightpool.com. I have a, a wealth of information up there. I also maintain high run lists. Oh, well that's it, a good one. This is a, a Minnesota high run list. We, we had a lot of information out in Farmington on a whiteboard, but when it changed owners, the, the person erased the whiteboard and oh. lost all oh. kinds of historical oh. historical Ouch. matches. So I've put together, with the help of a lot of people, um, maintaining a high run list in Minnesota. Uh, nice. And 
And so who's the best in Minnesota right now? Well, a person named Mark Peterson has, has the high run at 177 balls in a match quite a while ago at Shooters. And, and uh, Lee Hewagon is very close second at 169. Oh my! And I witnessed part of that match uh, back in I think that was around 2004. Wow! Um, so there's a lot of good players. If anyone plays in a match, I have some criteria set up. It can't be just in a single run in someone's basement. Sure. It must be in an actual match on a nine-foot table in Minnesota. Okay, and it doesn't matter if it's league play or no whatever kind of play. Challenge it is. match or a match at night or day or sure. whatever. Sure. Just email me the information along with some corroborating data uh -huh. of who you were playing and where it was and everything, and I'll add it to the list. Um, but consider joining the league if if you either want to learn the game or enjoy the game. Uh, and and the league is handicapped. It is. So you are competitive. Correct. And and uh, uh, we use a system that was invented by, by Bob Jewett. Okay. Uh, he's a fellow out in California, very uh, into um, different formulas and everything such as that. So he can be competitive. Another idea that I'm kicking around is it'd be nice to have a Minnesota championship yes probably in the summer or something such as that a non-handicapped where uh, we could have crown a state champion and, I, and, I agree I and, think that would be a yeah. wonderful idea a good thing to do uh, I, I do think a lot of players would come out of the woodwork to give that a try yeah you know, and we might be surprised because there are a lot of players our age that still play pretty good yeah, you know, and one that comes to mind is uh, a professional played on the tour back when fourteen one was the game, and then it switched to nine ball. He was involved in that turnover, and that was Greg Fix. Hmm. Are you familiar with Greg at all? Uh, Greg is on on AccuStat videos playing playing the best there is, oh. and uh, uh, I I hope. You know, I, I imagine that AccuStat still has all their 14-1 yeah. videos. Uh, I don't know if they've moved them over to CDs or... I, I think they're being moved over to DVDs. Okay. Um, I have a small library at home. And, okay. Yeah. And so, well, there you go. Yeah. Get the Greg Fix matches mm -hmm. from AccuStats. I think you'll enjoy them. And, and he just lives to skip away from the cities here and uh, he, he, you know of course everybody is rooting for him in Minnesota that was in the pool scene that was knowledgeable at that time whenever he was yeah. playing you know and and I guess a couple years ago or last year maybe he even came out of retirement a little bit and played in a local tournament honoring a player by the name of Seiko Verani mm -hmm. who uh, has won most national championships at one time or another, okay. and uh, I think Seiko's uh, in the mid 70s now, okay. and he still plays as good as ever. He played uh, a couple weeks ago in a tournament, and uh, 
this is against all the players, all the master players, yeah. and he took fourth place. Mm -hmm. So he can still hit the ball pretty good. Yeah. Did you have uh, idea? I, I, if if that tournament were to be put together, mm -hmm. would you run it like a round robin or a? Have you thought that that way? Well, most of the a lot of the tournaments these days, including both the the Dragon Promotions World Tournament plus the Maryland Tournament are run where the uh, as a two-day event. The first day, people are split into groups of four or five, and you play a, a round robin. And the top one of those groups goes into the second day, okay. which is then it becomes an elimination tournament. Okay. So everyone that that would enter the tournament would be guaranteed at least four or five matches. Yeah. Through, See, and at I, least through the first day. Right. I like that format. Yeah. I really like that format. You know, when I think about people traveling a long ways yeah. for a double elimination <laughs> tournament and then they're two and out the first day. Right. You know, it just doesn't seem right. Yeah. <clears throat> but now if I know I'm guaranteed four matches, you know, at least maybe I can get over my my early doldrums, <laughs> you know, and get into stroke, and yeah, yeah, and have a chance again. Yeah, you know. But if you have a bad first match, you're downhill from yeah. there because getting through any loser side is near impossible. Yeah, yeah. And, it's you know, like uh, the luck of the draw, drawing whoever uh, Mark Peterson uh, on the first one or yeah. whatever. Yeah, you know where you're. You get to play that full first day, right? Yeah, right. And I, I, I th that's why I like that format. Yeah. That's why I asked. So keep that in mind if you put this together. It'd be nice if we got some sponsors for something like that too, and and volunteers and help. And oh, yeah. you know, I'm sure you'd get some volunteers. I would be glad to volunteer yeah. for something like that. I would yeah. be glad to be a tournament director. Yeah. And uh, along with this, as kind of a fundraising thing on the side, we could do one of these high-run contests where everybody throws in so much and gets a portion of it back, and the rest can be passed on to the to the winnings for the sure. for the tournament. So there's a lot of ideas out there. A lot of that's that's good. Well, we'll talk about that off air sometime. Yeah, and. Uh, See if we can put that together. I think that'd be great fun. I think we get a lot of people. Well, I want to thank Dennis for coming in and guest hosting and talking about his straight pool leagues and and uh, as he said, mnstraightpool.com is the site. If you uh, want to talk to him, uh, his email address is on the website. Give him a buzz talk to them. If you have any interest in pool, even if you're just starting, this is the game to learn starting pool. Right. And uh, so thank you much. Sure. Well, it was uh, nice to be with you this morning, Jay. And, and uh, um, so I can promote the game a little bit. And um, I'm happy to be here. This was fun. All right. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we're going to take a break here, and I'm going to come back with a little uh, 
house cleaning duties, uh, talking about winners and tournaments that end up in the So we can take a break here and then I'll be back. Hi, welcome back to Table Talk. My name is Jay Wegener, your host. And uh, I just wanted to cover a few housekeeping things. Um, MPA has had three tournaments now in Minneapolis. The first one being the home opener at Stooges on September 27th. And they had uh, four divisions, a Masters AA division, uh, A division, B division, and C division. In the Masters AA division, we there were 32 players and they paid eight places. First place went to Jesse Engel, $700. Lee Hewagon took second, $400. Jared Schlock took third, $300. Scott Tullison took fourth, $200. Matt Sherman tied with Seiko Verani, and they each got $120. And 7th, 8th was Jared Bailey and Mike Quackenbush, each receiving $70. In the A division, there were 23 entries, with 1st place going to Roger Johnson, earning $400. 2nd was Doug Carlson at $250. 3rd, Patrick Graham, $150. 4th was David Hild, $90. And fifth, sixth were Bill Frisbee and Kang Moa, and they each earned $60 for their efforts. In the B division, there were 40 players. First went to Jeff Schrader at $320. Second was Dennis Trong, $200. Third, Dan Clock, $150. Fourth, national champion April Larson, earning $110. Fifth six was Dave Dougal and Ray, oh Ray, I'm going to get your name wrong, U-C-H-Y-N-I, $75 each. Seventh and eighth went to Eric Madison and Bill Padgett, each earning $50. The C division had 34 entries with Nathan Parker taking first for $240. Second was Dylan Lagreed at $180. Third, Bradley Orton, $130. Pau Herr, one fourth, and $90. Fifth, sixth went to Jerry Ng and Sky Veal, each earning $70. And seventh, eighth went to Chai Ching, oh boy, Kaya Takasi. Sorry, I butchered that one. Oh my, K I A T O U K A Y S Y. If you figure out how to pronounce it, get back to me. And Jamie Werner, and they each earned fifty dollars. 
So uh, that was a pretty strong field. 34, 40, 23, and 32. So we had 100 plus players show up for this one day event. Um, now that was that one was held at Stooges in in uh, northern Minneapolis, actually Fridley. The next stop, <coughs> excuse me, the next stop uh, was October fourth at CR Sports Bar in Coon Rapids, and for that tournament, uh, once again it was a four tier tournament. The Master AA Division had 23 entries. First place went to Michael Pankoff, formerly of Arizona, taking uh, winning $600. Second was Lee Hewagen, again with a $400 win. Third went to Tyler Steinhaus, $260. Fourth went to Matt Pobance, $160. And fifth, sixth went to Gene Albrecht, and Craig Janowski, Janowski, excuse me, and they each earned a hundred dollars. And uh, amazing, Gene was playing in the condition he was in. I think he came in wearing a neck brace and all sorts of things. You know, Gene, get well. Best wishes to you. Uh, a division was won by Roger Johnson who earned 400 Kang Moa placed again at $240 Adam Jaros made $150 fourth was Keith Almquist at $100 fifth sixth Mark Brown and Carl Zatavern at $70 and seventh eighth were John DuPont and Jesse Turner each earning $50 the B division had 34 entries. First was Rob Tovson, $280. Jeff Schrader, $190. Third was Tim Eld at $130. Fourth place went to Dustin Rookie Hansen, $90. Dan Clock and Joseph Olson tied for fifth at $70. And Douglas Giron and Mike Neeson. Each earned $50 for their efforts. In the C division, Eric Danielowski made $240 for his play that day. Mike Conley took second at $180. Nicholas Larson, $130. Fourth place went to Eric Nelson at $90. Fifth and sixth went to Stacy Graham and JC Joe Price, each earning $70. 7th and 8th was Tyler Anderson and Jeff Westhead, each making $50 for their efforts that day. And they had one just this weekend at Shooter's Billiards. And this was their third stop. We didn't have quite as good a turnout here. Once again, it was a 1500 added tournament. In the in the Master AA division, we had 17 entries. With first going to Morgan Hutchins at $550, Michael Perrin Jr. made $300, Mark Weaver $200, Mark Weaver 
Michael Pankoff showed up again. Uh, $100. Bruno Nadu and Robert Shafino each made $70. The A Division, yay, went to one of my favorite players, Beth Fondell, earning $330. Mark Santineau made $200 for his second place finish. Bernie Elvendahl, $140. Dave Hilde, 4th place for $100. 5th, 6th went to Jim Gallagher and David Renfro, each making $70. The B Division, 27 entries. 1st place was Jed Berglund at $270. Everett Newton, $150. Jay Mitchell, $100. Scott Johnson, $80. Tim Moe and Tim Rusted tied for fifth at $60 a piece. And Tony Brunel and Joe DeJavonza, D-E-J-V-O-N-G-S-A. Joe and Tony tied for seventh at $50 a piece. The C Division, 18 entries. First place went to Dave Beckman for $220. Tony Betker, $150. Daniel Vaudrin, $90 for third. Bob Tuma, $60. Luke Larson and Anthony Pagel tied for fifth, sixth at $40. And that catches up on the tournament picture in Minneapolis for the past three weeks. Hopefully, hopefully that. That won't uh, that that length of uh, report won't happen again. I'll try to keep on top of things and and let you know the day after the tournaments are done. Uh, we have a special event coming up uh, in town, and it's going to be held at Shooters Billiards in Burnsville, October 18th. There is a fundraising tournament to help three-time national champion April Larson get to the World Nine Ball Championship in Shanghai, China. So if you're in the area and want to help a wonderful person and a wonderful player, uh, April, please come and have some fun playing a tournament at Shooters. It'll be a Scotch Doubles tournament. Uh, it, it's a $30 per person entry, 100% payback, half of the table time fee is being donated by shooters, it goes to April, uh, there will be a silent auction, 50-50 raffle, door prizes, if you want to know more information, you can contact Dave Larson, and uh, they do have a number here, but I'll tell you what, why don't you give uh, Shooters Billiards a call uh, and uh, they can fill you in on the information. But anyway, April 8th, I mean, sorry, October 18th, right, October 18th, uh, doors open at 10 o'clock and it'll be a fundraiser for April to get make sure she gets to China so that she can win this year. With that said, uh, I think... We've completed the hour of 
Table Talk today. I thank you all for listening. I'll talk to you next week. This is Jay Wagner. Get him good.